You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate. Each episode, we bring you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. All right, everybody. Thank you for stopping in to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today with us, we have Elise and Todd. Uh, Elise and Todd, would you guys like to uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Sure. My name is Elise. And my name's Todd. And um, we are out-of-state investors uh, since 2017. We both work full-time. Um, I'm a nursing supervisor. I work as a uh, operations manager for a contractor. And we have a two-year-old daughter and do real estate as much as possible so that we can try to obtain financial freedom. Okay, awesome. So you guys said you're out-of-state investors. So what state do you live in and what state or states do you invest in? So we live in Southern California and we uh, and have invested in Indianapolis uh, outside of Fort Myers, Florida and are primarily focused in uh, the border of Tennessee and Kentucky, specifically around the cities of Clarksville and Oak Grove. Okay. Um, before we dive in, why those areas? What made you guys choose those areas to invest in? We actually have uh, been involved in a real estate network to start and um, they actually did all the work for us and they identified different market areas that were um, that met several indicators, right? So things like uh, education, a good pool of renters, um, economic diversity, uh, rent to value ratio, just a lot of things that out of state investors would want, especially living here in California that just are not available. Okay. All right. And tell me a little bit about more about this program that you guys started out with, because I think that'd be a really good point to touch on just because a lot of people are, are, that are listening to this podcast are always asking, well, how do they do it? How do I get started and how can I do what they did? So please, you know, fire away at that. Sure. So we actually started, um, our very first investment, of course, besides our personal residence, um, which a lot of people would argue is not an investment, right? Our very right. first um, investment was a vacation home in Big Bear Lake, California. And a little after that time, um, well, let me just say we were renting it out part-time um, and then using it part-time. So it wasn't like a full-time investment. Um, and after that, my parents were in a real estate network themselves and had purchased a few properties in Arizona. So that's how we got introduced to that network. And um, basically the network identifies these areas and they have agents and property managers identified in all of these areas. And the way that they make their money is they get a cut of the um, real estate agent and the cut from the property management company. So it's free to us, the end user. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's basically, basically like referrals and you get to, you know, have access to all this information, um, that, that they're recommending. And, um, it's been really helpful for us. We literally every single investment that we have, um, has been in one of their recommended areas and it's worked out well for us. That's awesome. I think that's a really cool program because typically with programs like that, I know you're paying tens of thousands of dollars up front to be part of these programs where this is more, almost like real estate agent based where when you're working with a buyer agent, you're not paying them anything. They get paid from the sale of the home. So that's kind of a great way to start because you're not really putting any capital up front. You're not initially investing any capital in the program. You're really investing in your own education and the actual property itself. So that's a pretty cool start. Um, 
that program or where you can find out about that? Would you like to introduce us to that? Or is that something you guys want to keep on the down low? No, not at all. It's uh, the Marshall Reddick Network. And uh, they've been in business doing uh, real estate for a long time um, in Southern California. So it's a pretty common name around where we live uh, in the real estate investing community. Um, okay. And some of the pros, you know, of going through that service is you have access to information from across the nation. You know, if you call a real estate agent in a certain state and say, hey, I'm looking for um, a cash flowing real estate investment, they're going to say, oh, I got just the one for you. Right, right. You right over to one of their listings. Just um, the so, one, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, great, uh, great to have nationwide information and, and exposure to a lot of different places very easily. Um, you know, the con that we found uh, in that system was that their property manager and their um, uh, real estate agent are based on, you know, that, that referral system they've set up. So there, there wasn't necessarily consistency between every agent, and every property manager, everyone mm. had their own business, was their own person. And so there wasn't um, really some standardization within the network. So you found people that you, that worked better for you, uh, you know, in some areas and didn't in others in Clarksville and Oak Grove, we actually ended up going with our own team and building our own team just because we weren't getting the things we needed that were, we were getting in other market areas in that specific location. Right. And I'm sure you have a lot more control that way too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it's, it's a great way to get start started, but you lose a little bit of the margin, use a little bit of the profits that you can, you know, obtain when you get a little more experience uh, right. going through one of those systems. So I, I want to recommend against it for anybody that's starting out. It's a great way to get started. And okay. we actually didn't use the network the full way that it's intended. So they list a lot of properties that are turnkey and ready to go in these areas. And from the get go, we had indicators that we were trying to hit. So um, we started with them with our first property in Indianapolis, Indiana. And instead of looking at their turnkey properties where we wouldn't get the ROI that we were looking for, we just used their network and then mm. found the property that met our, um, our needs. Okay. Awesome. And again, that the name of that program was Marshall. I'm sorry, what was that? Marshall Reddick. So MarshallReddick.com is their website, but they have a lot of good information. If you go to like learn education and guides, there's a lot of different guides of different market areas where they go into why they believe that that's a great area to invest. So it's actually that piece of the puzzle has really, really served us well. And I think that's gold for your listeners. Okay. Awesome. So what, what caused you guys to get into all this? Like, why did you want to invest in real estate? What made you want to go out and invest in other states? I mean, that's a pretty drastic choice to make together. You know, it's an awesome one. Sure. Um, you know, we've always kind of been interested in um, the idea of investing and owning a business of different kinds. Um, yeah, I started and closed a business. Um, Elise has started uh, some small ones kind of on a, uh, as a side project really before we really got full blown into real estate and um, you know, real estate just is uh, it's so much fun. It's captivating. Um, uh, at least mentioned that her parents invest out of state and have enjoyed a lot of success. Uh, my parents um, bought a home in uh, California, went a different route, kind of speculating on appreciation, but didn't really buy in a great market kind of bought like we bought our first short-term rental just to have and be able to rent out on the side in order to make some money. And, um, you know, those two different approaches. One was very much kind of a, Hey, I want to own a house here and we can rent it out. 
And the other one was a very pointed approach at where can I invest and a very objective approach to it as a whole. Um, right. And so I think from those two viewpoints, uh, you know, we really focused on what do we want out of real estate? And for us, you know, that was um, being able to replace W-2 income. And as soon as that happened, starting out with limited budgets, like everyone does, it was where can I get the best bang for my buck? And we started in Indianapolis and that heated up and we got chased out to Florida and we got a, I think kind of a one-off deal that Elise found out there. Mm -hmm. And then after that, same thing, the market just kind of heated up and we found a, a niche in Tennessee. And, and I think that's also very much associated with the fact that the team we have there is really great. Yeah, okay. I think I think we're just chasing um, time freedom, right? That financial and time freedom oh, yeah. um, is so so important to us. We have a two-year-old, and I think it just is you know emphasized every day to us how much we want to be more available to her, and we don't want to have to ask for time off work and feel any sort of guilt. Um, like even now, I was late getting to the interview because I work for the health department, and coronavirus is absolutely nuts right now. So yeah. Um, trying to get time off or get off on time or these are things like you know that we just want more flexibility yeah right no i definitely hear you and so um i still part-time work a w-2 job and my wife and i you know we've been home because of you know we in new york state we can't go out and work right now until april 30th is what they're saying and i'm like oh, all this free time like this is great i'm not going back like when i'm <laughs> when we're done here i'm done there you know what i mean sure. So sure. it, it's just you, you get in that mode of that time freedom and you just dedicate everything to real estate and it makes a lot of difference. Um, with these properties that you guys are buying out of state that are so far from you, when are you going out there to, to look at them, to purchase them, or are you really doing all of it online? Because I mean, I'm a real estate agent and I have clients who invest out of the country into the United States. They've never even seen the homes. They just purchase them. Now, how, how do you guys go about doing that? So I'd like to stay, say when we first started, we absolutely wanted to fly out there before purchasing or putting offers on the property. We wanted to view the area. We wanted to introduce ourselves to the agent, to the property management company. Um, over time, that has evolved now, given we've only been investing for three years. But um, I think we quickly became comfortable with the fact that there's contingencies in there, right, for... Mm. Um, uh, inspections. And so we, we've evolved over time. And then um, it got to be where we were purchasing basically sight unseen with auction properties. But, wow. um, you know, we had a video walkthrough of it. So we've really evolved um, over time uh, in that aspect. And, um, you know, for investors that are starting out, I think it's important to go. It's important to see it. But as you start to evolve and grow your team, um, you know, you get to a point where you know, if our agent called us tomorrow and said, hey, you need to find 12 grand because we got a uh, subject to deal that you really want, uh, you know, we'd be mailing a check or sending a wire before we saw anything on it just because, you know, they've earned that trust from us through, you know, the last couple of years of really being there and, and performing and, and doing what we need them to do. And that's a yeah. real example. We did purchase a subject yeah. too, um, <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> Right. And it's just, it's amazing how when you, again, when you do get started, there's so much due diligence, which there should always be due diligence on any property, sure. but you, you're really looking at all those contingencies that you can get out if need be, you're doing inspections. And this is the same way for me. I was, I first had these properties, I was doing full on home inspections with them. I had that as a contingency, but now as a seasoned investor, you go in by yourself or maybe with your contractor, you run through it, you know what everything is and you're just like, yep, yeah, we're going to, you know, do an aggressive offer with no home inspection. So there's different routes you can take with that. 
Um, for your guys' portfolio, what does that currently look like? And how are those properties broken down? Single families, multifamilies, how does that all look like for you guys? So we currently have 19 door, or excuse me, 19 properties and 20 doors. Okay. Um, because one of those is a duplex. So it's 18 single family homes and one duplex. And that's really recent because we just closed on 13 properties on the 25th. Yeah. So tell me about that. Cause that was a point I definitely wanted to hit on. So you guys had 16 proper, or excuse me, Nine, uh, 19 properties, 20 doors. Right. And then, but before that you, you didn't have as many, six. right. You had six and then you purchased 13. So how did that all play out? Did you guys do that all at once? Like how did that all look? Yeah. So actually the first, the second um, property we bought was in Oak Grove, Kentucky. And we offered on three properties. One of the offers didn't even respond. One of the offers countered and then one accepted. So we went out there with an accepted offer, inspected the house, liked it and bought it. The home that never offered was, uh, that never responded was owned by an older gentleman uh, that had been an owner operator of a rental company in town for many years. Um, and so uh, we stayed in touch with his uh, real estate investor or sorry, his uh, real estate agent. And then, um, you know, checking in every six months, every three months, every four months, Hey, has he thought about selling? You know, I, we want to offer him a fair price, but we can't overpay. we just don't have the resources to overpay for property. Right. And, um, you know, one of those phone calls, uh, was answered by the real estate agent who told us that he had passed away, unfortunately. And, um, uh, had his portfolio. The family didn't uh, was out of state. Didn't want to try and manage rental properties long distance. Um, and with any kind of you know owner operator that's been in business for a lot of time, I think you get deferred maintenance most of the time. Probably some deferred capital expenditures. Um, and so we just took the portfolio as a group. Um, and uh, you know it's a big value add for us, and it's a big move, but basically came in and, you know, just picked up whatever properties they were looking to get, get rid of. You know, it's actually funny. The um, agent herself didn't actually get the contract again for those properties. She had been carrying the contract, you know, uh, over and over for this gentleman, but um, it ended up going to a wholesaler. So, um, you know, we had learned about this wholesaler from another resource out that way, found, um, found out that she was selling these properties and I recognized the one that um, we had offered on all these years ago. And I said, Oh gosh, this is his portfolio. Right. So, on Facebook marketplace, saw a picture of the front door and Elise went, Hey, I think this is it. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. you know, we revisited. Yeah. Right. Okay. So when you're buying these properties, what is your current strategy? Are you looking to really purchase hundred percent turnkey tenant in place? Are you looking to purchase a little value add? What are you guys looking for? Yeah. So, um, again, our strategy has really evolved. Like the very first property, we absolutely were trying to find something with as little, um, needs as possible that met that 1%, um, rent to value ratio. Um, and then over time we are definitely looking for value add properties and specifically since 2019, we've really focused on burrs. So, um, you know, buy rehab rent refinance repeat to try yep. to get all our capital back because in order to scale, um, that's really the strategy that we've chosen that we can just continue to recycle the same capital and, um, grow <clears throat> our portfolio. Um, so this is basically going to be a huge burr for us. These 13 properties, they're all, um, you know, they need repairs, they have deferred maintenance 
and um, we got a, a great deal, you know. Yeah, that, the uh, yeah. tenant pools, you know, probably um, uh, aren't tenants that would be easily placed through a, a big property management company. Um, so, you know, they, they're paying probably market level rents for homes that I would say are, are pretty significantly bef below market, mm. um, you know, market uh, finish. Uh, so there's there's definitely updating we have to do to get a tenant to pay the same amount of rent back in it. But, um, you know, at the same time, buying one in bulk, uh, two, trying to make it as easy as possible for the uh, seller. And then, um, you know, being willing to tackle the project, you know, we got it for, I think, uh, 75 70, 75% of, of appraised value. Of, yeah. Wow. Okay. And you're able to add some value to that to push that ARV, push that value up even more for you? Yeah, so we think our purchase price is probably about fifty-five, maybe sixty percent of the actual after repair value once it's all said and done. Okay. Yeah. So I mean that that's what is awesome about the Burr method. And I think a lot of people no one really starts with the Burr method because obviously it takes some uh, some learning. Everyone evolves sure. into the Burr method, even myself. You know, you, you that first one you buy, you look for it's typically turnkey or you look for the little Mo the, the littlest amount or the smallest amount of maintenance or repairs that need to be done to the property just to use as a learning experience. Then you get into that next one. You're like, okay, I'm ready for to do a little bit more to the pro property until you get to this point where again, we, your strategy evolves into the burst strategy where you're like, well, this is silly that I'm putting 20% down on a property or a large amount down. And my return on it is, you know, three to five to seven years almost till I see that initial investment back, not counting uh, depreciation on the property, all that good stuff. But when you use that Burr method, you can just take that capital, use that capital, pull that capital out. You have an asset, you put it on the next one and you keep going and going and going. And uh, a buddy of mine says it perfectly. He's like, it's a strategy to acquire a large amount of assets rapidly. And that's, it's true because how long would it take you to purchase a hundred properties with 20% down on each property? Yeah. You know, scaling that way is going to be very difficult versus taking that capital and putting it in. I mean, how, how many burrs will it take to do a hundred burrs? You know, not nearly as long as it'll take to, to purchase a hundred properties traditionally. So I think that's why it's such a powerful method. Um, have you guys done a burr yet or is it something you're looking to do? We have, we have, we've done two technic two technically, but I want to throw in the third that we got the subject to that we didn't have to do the rehab. No. <laughs> I want to throw it in there, but it's not, we didn't have to do a rehab, but essentially we got 20% equity on the buy and then immediately refinanced. So it was the quickest burr because we didn't have to do a rehab. I don't know if that counts. Oh, that is nice. No, yeah. You just, you secured a property under market value, grossly under market value, and you're able to take yeah. advantage of that. So that's, I mean, that that's a strategy right there. Just looking for properties that you, you know, properties that someone's in a sticky situation, a divorce, a, a, a death, or, you know, something that has to happen and you can come in and save that person from foreclosure or something of that nature. Um, exactly. What did, uh, did talk to us a little bit about your first actual deal, not the vacation property or whatever property you said you rented partially, but your first actual rental. Because again, a lot of people on here listening are looking to get started and they always want to know about that first deal because that's where they can relate the most. Sure. So we, um, our first deal was uh, in, uh, we had researched a few market areas, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, stood out as a place that we thought we wanted to go. Uh, so we scoured, you know, Zillow and Trulia and Redfin and looked at crime rates and, and uh, schools and prices and everything else. And uh, found, uh, created a list of like 20, 25 properties, sent it to 
the networked uh, real estate agent out there, told him we were flying out and wanted to go view these properties. Uh, so he met us at his, at his office, walked us into the conference room, printed out our list of properties, sat down with us and said, okay, there's only two houses on this list you actually want to see. He said, but we'll start at the top. I'll take you to as many as you want. You tell me whenever you want to stop and go see the two that you're going to be interested in. Mm. I said, okay, that sounds like a plan. Said, and I think I said something along the lines of, you know, I like to get my own feel for uh, what's going on. So, you know, let's plan on, on um, uh, you know, going through and, and looking at houses today. So I think we went through four, maybe five. And uh, we looked at each other and said, okay, take us to uh, where we want to be. And he drove right. us to a, a single family home and then to a condo. I liked the condo because it was less expensive. Uh, <laughs> I liked the house because it was nicer and it was going to bring in more rent. Uh, uh, we argued about it. I stood my ground and we bought the house that you liked. So, um, <laughs> you compromised and you went with the house you wanted to buy, right? We, we compromised and Elise got her way. <laughs> I'm not a fan of HOAs. It's not about that. It's, there's just, you know, so much uncertainty with HOAs and that they can raise it. So you're mm. actually, you know, not in the position that sometimes you thought you were with cash flow. So I just, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I, I definitely understand it. Cause I did have a gentleman on last week who he has an Airbnb and an HOA. And he said the only reason why he bought in that HOA is for 20 years now, the fee for the HOA has never increased and they said it, it never will. So wow. it's something like that. It's set in stone, but you're hundred percent right. It is uncertainty where that fee can start to increase and therefore it's taken away from your cash flow. But can I tell you the single family home ended up having an HOA? <laughs> okay but it was so <laughs> it was so minute it's twenty dollars dante and for that wow. twenty dollars you get a community pool and two splash pads within this little community so for that twenty dollars you are insured that in this you know this it's single family homes it's just a huge area mm -hmm. of single family homes that the, that the homes are kept nice right and so that's something that i do like for my for our tenants and um that those are items that the community pool and the splash pads that attract families. So that sounded like a great opportunity for us to attract tenants that we would like for our first rental. Absolutely. Right. And we're long-term tenants because typically families stay for a little longer and $20 a month where you can probably get 40 to $50 more a month because it has pool access. So there you go. You just, you've grossed 20 to $30 more on that monthly cash flow. So I can see how it would work in that area. I mean, you don't even have to mention the HOA fee on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, they offer us a 5% discount for paying it all up front too. So we go ahead and take advantage yeah, of that. So oh yeah. Yeah. 5% off of whatever <laughs> amount that is. I mean, and take they, advantage of it. <laughs> they have not raised it at all. And we've, like we said, we've had the same tenants that since they've moved in there, it, it worked out great. Awesome. So you told us how you found the deal. How'd you fund it? And what options did you use for the funding for the financing? And what do your returns look like on the property? So we bought for very typical standard uh, conventional um, loan. Uh, we went with a 15 year fixed at the time because it was going to save us a little bit more in uh, total repayments. Uh, we since rate term refied it into a 30 year because why would you pay off anything in 15 years if your tenant's paying for it? Right. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, just saved up, had saved up 20%, you know, got, had 30 grand burning a hole in our pocket that we had scrounged together and uh, went out and spent 25 of it on the house. Yeah. We actually paid 98.5 was the purchase price. And remember this was supposed to be a turnkey property and it looked great. It looked mm -hmm. perfect. 
the only problem is, is um, the person selling it was a smoker. So we just thought, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah so we just, one of those. <laughs> yeah, we thought it was just going to be fixed with an ozone machine. So we, you know, rented because everything was perfect. I mean, it had little granite countertops and stainless steel appliances. Um, the carpet was great. So um, we rented the ozone machine. Um, and I know I'm totally digressing here, but that didn't cut it. Uh, it did not... Um, get rid of that smoke smell. So we ended up having to paint and do carpets in mm -hmm. a turnkey house. And so I think we paid 2,500 for that. So the purchase price, seven, seven, it ended up being right small. around 101 and we basically get um, 1075 in rent for it. So it's, it's a one percenter, even with that uh, small little hiccup. Right. Yeah. I just, I, and, go ahead. Uh, and we've spent thousand dollars on a water heater, $600 on a garage door. That's it. Um, a few odds and ends, you know, maintenance calls for light fixtures or something for 50 bucks. And, uh, you know, that's been it in three years. So it's been, it's been really good to us. All right. So it was really just more of that like initial cost. Cause I, like I said, I recently just went through where I had a inherit, unfortunately the worst inherited tenant, um, from a multifamily I purchased and they didn't smoke inside because it wasn't super strong, but you could definitely tell they, and I could see the tray outside. They smoked inside it beyond them. They come inside and then they'd sit down and go everywhere. So it was yeah. carpeting. We ripped up all the carpets. We didn't want to have to repaint the entire unit. Cause it was a 1300 square foot unit, uh, 1400 square foot unit. So it was a large unit and that's a lot of paint and we had to do everything on that. So what we did was, and actually I personally did it one night when my, my contractors were redoing the unit, but what I did to save on some money was I scrubbed all the walls with vinegar, actually mm -hmm. a vinegar and water mix. And then I went and got a, it's called a hydroxyl machine. So it's a little different than the ozone. The mm -hmm. ozone machine is you can only run it for a certain amount of time. You can't have anyone in there where the hydroxyl machine, you're able to run it freely. You can sleep next to it and it does just about the same thing. So it's like a little hidden secret I have because no one really knows about it. So the nice thing was, is I rented it on a Friday. It only counts as one day of rate over the weekend and I returned it on Monday, but I ran it from Friday evening until Monday at eight in the morning when I had to return it. My contractor walks in. He's like, what'd you do? It's the smell's completely gone. I was like, I just, I scrubbed the walls to get the particles off into the air. And then this machine just grabbed to it and, and killed it all. So for those nice. of you that are listening, hydroxyl machine, that's a little tip for uh, a smoke smell. You don't really hear too much about it. You hear about the ozone, but you don't hear about the hydroxyl all too often. So what back on track with the property. So I, <laughs> uh, you guys are in it for about one one you're doing about 1075 for rent. So you're right around that 1% rule. So what do property taxes look like in that area? And I'll tell you why I'm asking that in a moment. Sure. So for uh, that property, uh, because we're out of state um, uh, or because actually we're, um, we're renting it out and not uh, homesteading, uh, it costs us 2% as a cap. Um, in the uh, property tax. So we pay 2% property tax for that one. A lot of okay, people so about 2, don't know. Yeah, it has the one, two, three cap rule where basically if you're owner occupying, it's 1%. Um, and if you're not owner occupying, it's 2%. And then it's for commercial properties, it's 3%. So, um, you know, we went into it thinking it was capped at 1%. And mm. um, so that's that newbie. That was our first learning lesson, I would say. Um, yeah, bring so it uh, historical property taxes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. well it's, you learn by doing it. And now, is this just in that state where they have the one, two, three percent? Okay. So 
the reason why I ask is because where I'm at in central New York on a property, if you were to purchase it for about a hundred thousand dollars, you're looking at about 35 to $4,000 in property taxes. So we have super high property taxes in New York. So that's why it's very difficult to make a single family work. That's why sure. when you talk to people in New York or California or sometimes California, I don't want to say always in California because I don't know what your property taxes are like totally. You have to do a, and on a multifamily scale because you need to split those taxes up in two to three to four units. It's very difficult to do the one unit game. It's got to, you really got to get low, put a little, little cost into it and make it work. So that, that's why I was asking that. And the 1% rule typically doesn't apply to us here. Unfortunately, we look for more like the 2% rule. Yeah. <laughs> sure, have to. Same for right. investors like in Texas, they're trying to get like 1.25 or one and a half at least um, because of their property taxes. Yeah. With, with these properties that you guys are, out of state with, do you use any programs to manage all of them from a distance or how are you seeing all these numbers? How are you seeing everything that's going on with the properties? We Just use to... property managers in all of our properties. Um, okay. And they send you costs... reports. Yeah. That costs us 8% in property management fees. Um, we talked them down from 10%. Uh, I don't know what they are in your area. If you use property managers. Eight to 10. Yeah. I feel like a lot of Property managers really like to start with 10%. You can negotiate them down to 8%. I don't know. Because they know some people are just going to bite at the 10%. So they try. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then here, uh, that information just all goes into Excel. And we just have a Excel sheet for each property, which has been pretty manageable until now. I think we're probably going to have to go to either like Microsoft Access or some kind of a program now that, now that we increase pretty significantly. But up until now, just been dealing with dealing with them uh, in individual spreadsheets. Right. Okay. Now, do you guys have a mentor that's been teaching you how to do all of this? Or are you guys really using the program that you guys are involved with, with the, uh, the Marshall Reddick program? We really only use them to identify market areas and to get, um, you know, the referrals. We really, I would say really separated from them after about a year and a half, maybe. Um, and even then it was, it was limited and not, not the use that I think most people use them in the same capacity. I think what the biggest, um, kind of the biggest thing we learned about, you know, real estate is I don't, I don't think there's new ideas, you know, right. I mean, everything recycled. Doing, no matter how it's branded, it's, it's all based on kind of the same concepts and, and understanding what's going on. So, you know, we've leaned heavily on, on uh, our teams, especially lately to, you know, hey, what's the market going to do? What's this going to, um, what's this going to rent for? What's it going to be worth when we're done fixing it? And from there, you know, it's just it's just the math. Yeah. You know, we can get a, you can get a loan for eighty uh, percent of value. Okay, and how many times can I do that? And I can do that ten times. And uh, um, you know, I don't like seasoning periods. What does it take to classify your property as a rate term refinance? Any entity or individual can lien it. Well, does that mean that I can lean it with an entity? Oh, I can. Okay. Well, now I've now I've moved past seasoning. What's the next thing I don't like about real estate? And you end up finding out that there's a way to do whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. You know, and the more people you talk to and the more people you network with and the more people you talk to that are doing something different than you, you know, the more you're gonna learn about ways to approach it, you know, and, and before you know it, you're gonna be talking about things like wraps and options and and you know, all those all those ways that people make money where, you know, three years ago we would have walked away and said, Oh, well, we can't make money on this deal. Honestly, we, every single purchase, um, that we've done, we have learned 
uh, exponentially more about real estate, whether it's increasing our acquisition funnel from, um, you know, finding subject twos or being able to do auctions um, or increasing our, our ways to finance properties. This last go around with this um, 13 property portfolio, uh, our contract was, um, you know, accepted for 20% seller financing, 80%, you know, lender financing. So we were just going to pay closing costs, right? So we are getting, um, right. you know, increasingly confident trying to figure out ways to make deals happen. Yeah. Just doing whatever you can to secure those properties, secure those assets and grow your portfolio at the end of the day is what it really comes down to. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And are you guys using, I know you just said seller financing and then traditional bank financing. Are you guys using any private money at all in these deals or are you using your own W2 funds? Uh, how does that look? Well, we tried. <laughs> this this deal has evolved so much. We actually went and walked these properties, um, gosh, the weekend before Christmas. Yep. And so we just closed in March. So it's been three months. Um, but that deal evolved. Uh, we were supposed to have some hard money uh, in that deal for three of the properties. And then for 10 of them, we were going to do uh, lending through our credit union. But um, the way things kind of shaped, shaped out there, uh, you know, it, it, things changed day to day. And then with COVID-19, they ended up closing the loan desk one day oh. before I mean, you, you ask anyone that was doing is doing hard money right now, all the loan desks almost everywhere shut down on the same day. And that was the day they were supposed to send loan docs to, to title. The day before, the day they before were closing. Yeah. Wow. So that was rough. That was so rough. So that was going to be our first hard money. Um, and that experience wasn't great. But, um, you know, that happened to everyone because of, of COVID-19 and the fears. So we ended up doing still 10 commercial uh, two with seller financing, and then one we paid for in cash. Okay, awesome. So a, a pretty healthy mix across the portfolio there for what yeah. you're doing to secure these properties. Whatever, whatever it was going to take. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, um, so you go, you go ahead. And, uh, starting out, uh, we just were saving money from W-2s. We've always lived kind of frugally. The first apartment we ever rented, we lived in for five years, and it was you know the smallest, cheapest one-bedroom apartment we could find. Uh, in the area. And, uh, you know, we just stuck it out and, uh, you know, have always lived, I think a little bit below our means. Yeah. Um, so we used W2 income to buy the first property. Um, and that was in Big Bear. Then we, um, that short-term rental combo, uh, we saved up and bought the house in Indianapolis. We sold the Big Bear property, took what little proceeds we had from selling it, and took that to the um, to Oak Grove, Kentucky, and uh, we sat down and looked at each other and said, "This is going to take forever. Like, we're going to retire at 65 with everybody else. What uh, we have to figure out a way to accelerate this." Right. And so um, we had uh, purchased our primary residence pretty young, and uh, in 2000, in early 2011, so the market was still starting to come up and uh, recover from the uh, you know early 2000 recession. And so uh, we had a lot of built-in equity in our primary house. So we took a HELOC, um, said, okay, this is only to burr. We're only going to burr with this. We're not going to do anything else. And the first thing we did is put 20% down on the duplex in Florida. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, just took it with an inherited tenant one side vacant, rented the other side out, and just treated that like the standard 20% um, uh, standard conventional purchase. 
and uh, after that, we're like, okay, we're serious this time. Now it's just for burring and then went into the burr process. So we left $6,500 in one, $1,500 in the subject two, and then we ended up pulling out 13 grand out of the last one. And we would have left it in, except we needed it for the portfolio and sure for did. some operating expenses. So you know, okay. we, we pulled as much as we could out of number three and uh, you know, turned a $165,000 HELOC into, we just wired 185 grand. So somewhere along the way, it picked up 40 grand worth of additional money. Right. Yeah. Doing the process and, and the rental mm-hmm. income and, and just keeping it all in the company and not going out and buying a brand new car. Awesome. So this segment's called the curious cues. I'm going to fire off a series of questions at you guys and you guys just answer them with what you think. So first question, what's your guys' favorite book? I am a big David Green fan. So okay. I am all about, I want to say the burp, you know, but, but I'm going to go with the long, long distance investing book. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you definitely great. exercise that a bunch of what you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and I'm a more technical reader. So uh, I have uh, the Freddie Fanny guidelines on my desktop and I have, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So, um, uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed what parts of those books I have read, but I'm not really a big real estate reader. Uh, when it comes that's to that me kind of and stuff. the podcasts. Yeah. That's totally okay. Right. Yeah, that's all, well, that's, that's all the next me. question. Your guys' favorite podcast? <laughs> um, Dante's. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, there no, you go. <laughs> no, I can't say that. I know you guys, everyone always wants to say that because, like, oh, we're on the spot, you know? <laughs> um, I, I really enjoy the Bigger Pockets podcast. Um, yeah. I think it's very inspirational. Um, they kind of get a wide mix of people on there um, that are doing great things. Yeah. Yeah, they do a, a phenomenal job. I mean, a majority of people on here do say bigger podcasts and and rightfully so because they that's why they're the number one out there. They do a phenomenal job, the amount of content and even the way they break down every show. I mean, that's exactly where I started as well um, a few years back. Okay. Biggest hurdle you guys have had to overcome in real estate? Biggest hurdle? I would like to say being out of state puts you at a little bit of a disadvantage. So you have to really start to learn the differences like you saw earlier, property taxes, um, you know, what kind of natural hazards are in that area, um, find contractors when you're not close by, you can't just go stop by the property. So I, I do think being out of state is definitely a hurdle. Okay. Yeah. Um, and to be a little more specific, our last burr uh, took, six months longer than it was scheduled to. Wow. Because um, our general, who had done great work for us on, on the first part that we did, that we actually rehabbed, um, uh, was kind of busy. And so he hired out the the more recent project and um, ended up overpaying a sub in advance and asking us to overpay him in advance. Not, you know, uh, not knowingly, but just from lack of uh, checking in. And uh, we just did it. I, I sent him 40, 50% of the contract in the first three weeks, which was on schedule time-wise, but not with actual uh, work completed-wise. So we right. ended up, he ended up trying to milk it, you know, just babysit it along by himself, trying not to come clean to us that, hey, I messed it up. And, uh, you know, to this day is really, is still closing out that project. He still has to seed and straw the, the grass to finish the landscaping. So yeah, I posted about that on my Instagram. It's not all perfect, but, um, with the air conditioner with the extra or whatever I saw, is that the one? 
Oh, it's the one that I said, trust, but verify because, um, okay. you know what? He had done a good project for us, the, the rehab before, and it was clean. He completed it in seven weeks. It was great. Stayed on budget. And then, um, you know, just because someone does perfect once doesn't mean they'll do perfect the next time. Right. <laughs> and, right. you know, to his credit, he got, he finished the job, you know, out 17 grand that he paid to someone else that didn't do five grand worth of work. So, you know, he uh, stuck in it and kept his word, but man, it's a long time. Right. Yeah. It definitely yeah. stinks when you're off the, uh, the timeline you're initially shooting for. Sure. And I don't want to downplay either. I think the challenge that we're in now with COVID-19 and, you know, um, you know, Hey, or how many of these tenants are going to pay? Right. Uh, yeah. It's know, definitely a concern. April, come April and May. And, you know, there's a lot of people out of work and a lot of people that are worried about, uh, you know, all the bills. So it'll be interesting to see how, the next few months shakes out for everybody. Agreed. It would definitely be very interesting. Uh, next question, favorite part of investing. So what's, what's the part you guys like most? Do you enjoy most? Making money. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like wires. I like walking into the bank cause I got to make a wire for, you know, uh, a lot more money than I ever thought I'd be sending back and forth between accounts. And it uh, is funny, right? Wire. Yeah. And, and the only thing I do at, at the bank local to my work is wire money. So when I walk in, they greet him. Like, they just Hi, go, Mr. Hey, it's the wire guy. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, exactly. Go, Let's go make a wire. And we don't do it that often, but if it's the only time someone sees you at a smaller bank, right. They know that's why. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that's, that's my little ego stroke right there. It, the, it, it's the funny because the bank. Right. Cause I've been waiting, obviously, uh, at least I've been waiting for someone to say making money. You know, like that's my favorite part because that's almost basically why we're doing it. And then I, uh, Todd, for you, it's funny. Cause you say, I like, you know, sending that wire out and, and I'm the, the money, same yeah. exact way. Exactly. I'm like, Oh yeah, I've just got to check. I'm going to go spend 40 grand. It's just like, how is that fun? It's like, because this 40 grand is going to make me a heck of a lot more money than what I, you know what I mean? That's, that's my mentality I have in it. And it's fun too. How often do you get to go spend 30, 40 grand all in one place at once? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, biggest hero for you guys. David Green. <laughs> I knew, I knew it. I knew you were going to say that. I'm I was going to say, don't say David Green. <laughs> he's in my head. Like literally it's exactly the space that we're, that we're in right now. We're long distance investing where it didn't make sense to invest where we are. And he kind of is a, is an inspiration for those that you can invest. It doesn't have to be in your backyard and it can be more difficult than turnkey. It can be, yeah. Um, value add properties that you can, you know, remote rehab and manage and, um, yeah, just, just proving that it's possible. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Todd, would you agree that your, uh, your wife's crush basically David Green would be, <laughs> yeah, apparently. Right. Yeah, no, and I would actually say that, um, uh, Elise and I balance each other out in a lot of ways, I think, um, you know, there's aspects of real estate investing that play to both of our strengths. And there uh, are ways also that we um, support each other um, in weaknesses. So I think that probably uh, like our team, I think like Elise is probably on my hero list when it comes to real estate investing. There you go. You know, the fact that uh, whenever one of, you know, if there's ever something I can't take care of, like, you know, she'll figure out a way to come in and, and sweep it up. Um, the first property, uh, in this portfolio that we bought, she has demoed, uh, trash picked up, uh, fumigation set up for like 40% of budget 
And uh, I haven't talked to anyone about that property. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I've been busy at work for two days and Elise has handled the first two weeks worth of work, you know, in, in 16 hours with a two-year-old kicking around the house, trying to distract her from it. So, um, you know, she just, she's unstoppable when she gets her mind onto something. And so it's, it's pretty cool to be, to, uh, you know, have her pulling in the same direction. Oh, most definitely. I mean, you gotta, you gotta look to your right real quick and look at her because she hasn't stopped smiling since the second you said that. She's just like, <laughs> I, I could see her looking at you. She's like, thank you. She's like mouthing. Thank you. Like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Now I feel, yeah. now I feel bad for saying David Smart Green. Look at, yeah. He got to be second, uh, you know, and say this, say this after me and I'm going to, I changed my answer. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. No, that's funny. Awesome. Okay. Uh, two more questions for you guys. Favorite non real estate related hobby. Snowboarding. Absolutely. Snowboarding for me. I've been doing it since I was like in sixth grade. I do the jumps, the rails, all of it for sure. Oh, nice. That's sweet. Um, I really like uh, anything automotive. Okay. Uh, working DIY projects around the house um, and uh, shooting. So. I oh picked... yeah, me too. Well, still okay. Still. What do you guys do? Anything <laughs> good? Uh, we Targets? live in California, so no. Targets? Yeah, I was uh, just going to say California. Uh, I'm in, I'm in New York, Target. so I'm not going to tell you guys what I shoot either. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Yep, no, okay. Just very, very, very featureless everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, newbie advice. So what would you give uh, investors who are looking to get started? What advice would you give them? Um, do not step over pennies. No, sorry. Don't step over dollars to try and pick up pennies. Mm-hmm. Um, we, when we started out, spent so much time and effort shopping interest rates with banks and um, caring about $400 in closing costs and, hey, can you give me a, a credit to do this versus that? Um, you know, concentrate on building a team, uh, on finding people that perform, and then just using those people. Um, we had going into the summer of going into the fall of last year had 12 hard credit inquiries on on our uh, credit report because I was shopping two or three lenders per loan. And um, I was going back to the same one or two people and neither one of the differences between those two rates were worth uh, shopping it around in the long term. Um, So if you're, and that's especially true for the burst strategy, right? If you're going to go in and you're going to do something that's financing heavy, uh, don't shop for cents. Don't shop for pennies. A tenth of an interest rate or even uh, a whole percent of an interest rate is just going to be a drop in the bucket when you get to the point of, can I get my ninth and tenth conventional loan or do I have to go hard money? Mm, okay, that's good. No, that's good. That's definitely g- good for someone that is looking to get started just to not try to go the extra mile to save such a small lump sum that's going to really affect the overall home run on the property. So no, that's good. I like that advice. Awesome. Uh, For me, it's don't be stuck in analysis paralysis. Your first property does not have to be that home run. Just make it a base hit. Like, because honestly it changes your entire mindset. So you saw for us that first property, um, you know, it's a one percenter, it's decent. And it was, um, you know, what we were looking for. But the, the point of the matter is, is it changed our entire mindset and it gave us confidence that we were able to evolve and, um, you know, grow our portfolio, you know, over the years because of that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I definitely think that's great advice because 
for me, it was the first way with my first property. Um, I definitely didn't hit a home run with it. I think I paid a little bit more than I should have, but it was that property that let me dive into the water so I can learn how to swim kind of thing. It was, and that's what I always tell people. If you want to learn how to swim, you got to jump in the water. You know, you got to jump in head first, so to speak, just so you can learn because the things you're going to experience with that property, you will never be able to read in a book or experience through a podcast that emotional and that mindset that you go through when you have to take a tenant out or a hot water tank goes on the property or or what am I going to do? Like the end of the mortgage is coming in the next month. Obviously we hope you have reserves, but you you know what I mean? It's just stuff that you can't experience through education. You have to experience it through uh, doing an actual deal. So that's awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Well guys, thank you so much for being on the show this evening. Where can people go to find out more about you guys? I have an Instagram, which is where we met Dante and it's investing for financial freedom. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so anyone that's looking to connect with you guys or just talk to you or chat with you or pick your brain a little bit, head on over to Instagram to their Instagram account there to talk with them. Thank you guys so much for being on and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We hope you took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte. See you next time.